Okay, uh, that was a good first try. I felt a little more like a kick than a punch, though. It felt like a kick to me, too. Your whole life you've known that a foot can only kick. You've known that a foot cannot punch. Forget everything that you know. Much better. That felt like a punch. A very weak punch. But the most important thing is that you're learning to punch with your foot. Welcome to Cut to Black, a Soprano sit-down. And welcome to No Mercy, a Cobra Kai kickback. My name is Jim Scampoli, and I've seen The Art of Self-Defense three times. My name is Jacob Burrows, and if you're very confused, this is a crossover episode between our two podcasts where we usually talk about The Sopranos and related media, and Cobra Kai and related media, and this film, The Art of Self-Defense, that I've seen one times uh, just now before we are recording this, it's related to both, which is why we're dropping this on both feeds. Do you want to give us like a really brief uh, rundown of what this film is and why we thought it would be great for listeners and, uh, you know, viewers of both shows? Well, I think I, it's I think the Cobra Kai comparison is very obvious and I think it's very apt because it's like a dark, a dark, um, I guess I don't want to say sarcastic, but I guess dry, a dark, dry version of Cobra Kai, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like it's kind of scratching some of the same itches here uh and you know just getting into this dark world of (laughs) karate school (laughs) who knew who knew the underbelly of that speaking of underbelly the sopranos um more specifically the recent uh many saints of newark uh this is a film starring uh alessandro nivola who did play um Dickie Moltisanti in The Many Saints of Newark. So I think it's kind of a nice connection there to get a little bit into the range of this actor because even the people that had kind of middling to negative uh, feedback on Many Saints of Newark, I think most people were in full agreement that Alessandro is a great actor, a great performance. So I had seen The Art of Self-Defense before I saw Many Saints of Newark, so I thought it would be interesting to discuss it in that light as we're discussing his performance here in this film. What do you say, Jacob? Does that wash? Does that make sense? It does wash, uh, I say. Um, and if you... So so in, in very brief summary, like this film is about a wimp who, uh, you know, is, is basically bullied in every aspect of his life. And then he finds karate and that sort of becomes uh his new lifestyle and there's a lot of very obvious cobra kai parallels um and a lot of uh well yeah there's not that many sopranos parallels besides the the actor there but it is really interesting you could get into say like you know sopranos explores masculinity and especially masculinity maybe to a toxic extent um, mm-hmm. so you could kind of, I mean, I know that's a little bit more flimsy, but I think, uh, Alessandro is, is enough to make it, uh, work for Sopranos fans out there. Yeah. And the film also stars, um, Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots. Yes. Um, Jesse Eisenberg, like I was surprised that I guess he was in a film that I'd never heard of and that no one had <laughs> ever seen. Cause he feels like a kind of like a 
big deal actor, you know, and like this mil- th- this film got like a $2 million in the box office. I don't think it got like a wide release or anything, but it's just interesting that this totally passed me by, but you'd watch, did you watch this back when it came out? You were following this director, right? I actually did see it. I, I wasn't following this director until this movie. I actually did see it mm. in the theaters. Uh, it oh, okay. did, I was lucky enough that it was playing near me, so I saw it. Um, there's a somewhat off topic, but there's another movie that came out the same year, Vivarium, that has Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg uh, in the lead roles as well, which is also another weird, interesting film. But yeah, that's just an aside. But yeah, Art of Self-Defense, it was just something I'd heard. Like it was kind of getting some like uh, indie buzz, I guess. And it happened to be yeah. playing at one of the smaller theaters near me. So I didn't know a ton about it, but I went to check it out. And I mean... I I love it because it's it is kind of completely its own thing, um, mm. and I don't know. I I love the the vibe, the humor, the darkness, uh, and I, yeah, I think it's like it's its own thing that kind of keeps you guessing. You can compare it to a few things. You can compare it to uh, the Cobra Kai, of course. You can compare it even to say like Fight Club or something along those lines. But it just has its own tone. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, I would say it's kind of like Napoleon Dynamite meets Fight Club. Um, or yeah, maybe some Wes Anderson vibes. Uh, because a lot of the, (laughs) a lot of the acting is kind of like stilted or like the way people talk is just not naturalistic at all. Um, yeah. And that, that, that sort of goes in hand in hand with all the rest of how the film is put together as well. And I'm sure we'll get more into that, but basically it's a, it's a black comedy. That's what people call this genre. Right. And Riley Stearns, the director, you'd seen his, you've now seen his previous film before that, uh, before this, uh, from 2014. Right. I mean, that is also kind of a dark comedy, right? So this seems to be sort of the area he moves in unless, that's a very different film. I don't know. No, it's it's a similar style. You're right, and th- that movie is about a uh, like a cult deprogrammer, and mm-hmm. um, the parents of the the actress in is Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who um, uh, at the time were, were they married? Yeah, they were yeah, married. At the, time. the director and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who you may know from Scott Pilgrim, she was Ramona Flowers, or she's in one of the Fargo seasons we watched. Was that the third season? I think. Um, Mm. and she's in it and she's like, he's, this guy's trying to deprogram her and, you know, things spiral as they do, you know, as that job of being a cult deprogrammer (laughs) often does. Uh, he also has this new movie coming out. It's going to be playing at Sundance, uh, next month or depending on whenever this is up, uh, when this goes over in the feed. Yeah. Duel, which sounds awesome as well. It's like about a person who is... A person who's terminally ill, so to help their family, they they have a clone made of themselves. But then they have a miraculous recovery, and they have to fight their clone to the death because now that they're not dying anymore, <laughs> they don't want their clone to take their life. With uh, Aaron Paul, Jesse Eisenberg's in that as well, uh, and Karen Gillian. So I know we're kind of jumping all around, but I, I feel like uh, if you're a fan of Cobra Kai, if you're a fan of so- uh, Sopranos, I mean, you like cool shit. And I feel like this guy makes cool shit if you're not familiar. These are things that I think you should put on your radar. Yeah, for sure. And we'll talk about it sort of without spoilers uh, until we get into maybe more of the the plot of it. And we'll give you a spoiler warning then. 
But I also think his, uh, well, this is the only film of his that I've seen, but you definitely like should probably go in more or less blind. I watched like half the trailer and was like, this is a vibe that I know I'm going to enjoy. And I think that would probably be true for most people out there. If they watch the trailer, they'll either go, fuck yeah, I want to see that or go, I this is not for me. Yeah. <laughs> because it's a very distinct style uh, on display from the get-go. And like you so, mentioned, kind of like the stilted... There's it's if it, it's weird because like the stilted like line readings and the interactions, it feels like that would be something easy to do. It feels like, oh, you know, that's easy. You just tell people to like act b- badly, but <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of like when you watch it, at least in my mind, I feel like that's way harder to do because Jesse Eisenberg. I mean, whether you like or dislike him, people compare him to Michael Sarah all the time. I think that's not fully fair, um, but he definitely has his own style. He does play that kind of nerdy, aloof, awkward guy. But in this movie, you have to like juggle it where he's a version of that, but also every character is a version of that to different extents and still yeah. make it feel different and it make it feel like you get the, you get the uh, idea of how the whole world is from these characters. Um, and in my mind, I feel like that's hard to do. It's it's easy to make one guy who's an awkward nerd, like, oh, here's the awkward nerd. But when you're having him be an awkward nerd in an awkward, nerdy world, but he's especially nerdy, I don't know. I feel like that's tougher to do, and I think this pulls it off. Yeah, and I don't know if what we're saying like would even make sense <laughs> yeah. if you haven't watched it yet, to be honest. But like as you're saying, the universe of this film is really interesting. You get a good sense of it in the first ten minutes that the film it doesn't deal in realism uh, or like it's presenting early on that reality is kind of elastic and you yeah. can assume from that that it may go even further off the rails. And that's everything from like in work in an office that's seemingly modern day they still use like old school crt computers and have porno yeah. magazines uh it goes from that to like answering machines that subtly belittle you for your lack of messages where it's like you have no more messages and like um just the tone of it saying like everything in the world is kind of directed inwards at the character like the radio report uh, there's a, a radio report of a robbery and it states that the police are advising everyone to carry guns or at least large <laughs> knives. Like, And I know America is different than where I'm from, but I'm pretty sure even that is like not normal for being over there. So it's definitely a quirky vibe overall, not just the characters, but the whole world. Yeah. Um, and in fact, our main character seems quite normal from the beginning in that sense, uh, if, you know, aggressively boring and, and meek. Yeah, and I mean, I could just point to the clip that we used to open it. It's because it's 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 a joke, but it's also this joke that the world accepts is that you're going to punch with your foot. So you're going to you, you've only known how to kick, but now you're going to punch with your foot rather than your fist. You're going to unlearn everything. And it almost sounds like that's just something that would exist in the dojo or whatever because you have a weird yes. sensei. But as the movie unfolds, you realize, like, well, no, that's actually, like, a thing <laughs> that's <laughs> existing in the world is that you're punching yeah. with your foot. <laughs> yeah, medically, we can determine that yeah. they're actually punches. <laughs> um, and there's definite sort of cult vibes. So, like, uh, yeah. again, we'll get uh, we'll give a spoiler warning, but, like, uh, it, before we get into more 
specifics, but essentially, you know, he joins a dojo, it's weird, it's Fight Club vibes, and that's the case from the beginning. Um, and uh, going back to the way people were talking, like, uh, kind of felt like Napoleon Dynamite-ish, maybe Juno-ish, it's got that quirky... Was this film made by an autistic person? Kind of yeah. uh, mood to it, and yeah, just the the way the characters talk to each other, it's just really appealing to my brain. And I don't necessarily think that I'm autistic, but my Swedish upbringing it did instill in me an appreciation for <laughs> direct styles of communication. Yeah, uh, which to a lot of people that I talk to in day to day life, I think comes off as robotic. Uh, and that's a lot of what's happening here. People are just sort of directly stating things. But you're right; you'd think that would be easy, but like there's also a full range of human emotion underneath these super stilted conversations which yeah. is what must be so difficult to do because you're acting in a way that's not like the way a normal person would act ever but the universe of the scene everyone just sort of accepts it and display the full emotions related to whatever's happening underneath uh in relation to that so it's uh yeah again but at, at the same time i think a lot of people would watch this and go like even after watching the whole film would go what the hell was the point of that and i think the <laughs> own, the main question is whether the comedy which comes from the mood more than any punchlines whether it works for you or not and as you were saying you love the comedy of it immediately which is all about this weird kind of setting that the world is in and so did i um but I could see how someone would watch this and go like, absolutely not. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I, I could see that as well. And yeah, and it's such a fine line. Like when when you're, to, again, going back to kind of the direct nature of the conversations and the way people act, it's such a fine line from just being like too over the top a goof. And like you said, there's enough behind it there is a range of emotions that are there to keep it like right there to, to make it work at least in my opinion um and and i like plot wise there's not things that are like super surprising like you know you can kind of see a few things coming but it's not really about that like as far as plot points it's still like even if you know because there's kind of like a i don't want to say a swerve or a twist or anything but you know, there's a development to the story that you kind of have a hunch at the beginning, but it's you still don't quite know where things are going. Like the movie, yeah. even though you kind of can see where maybe the 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 story beats are going to be, it's still hard to gauge where it's going. And I think that's what still keeps it in a range of like, I, I, I like this isn't anything I've really seen before. So I, I you know, I'm still. I'm still on my toes on like where it's going to go and and how it's going to come about. I don't mean to speak so vague, but again, we're like we're keeping a little spoiler free at the beginning. We'll get more into the specifics, uh, mm -hmm. but we're just kind of talking about the feel and the vibe of the movie uh, initially here. Yeah, and when it comes to sort of the cast and the characters, I think we get, that's something we can chat about uh, before getting into details. And Jesse Eisenberg, I think, does a fine job uh, yeah. in this, and as does Imogen Poots. But I think Alejandro Nivola is probably the most interesting actor, both from the Soprano standpoint and because he's essentially Johnny from <laughs> Cobra Kai, you yeah. know? Like, 
so there's a few scenes in this where Jesse Eisenberg's character, whose name is Casey, and and uh, Alejandro's character is just called Sensei. Uh, so for a start, you can already see that connection. Yeah. But it's very clear from when Casey enters this dojo that this Sensei has dedicated his life to this. He has a picture of his master on the wall. Um, and the master has uh, like... A rainbow belt uh, uh, that he invented himself <laughs> yes. because he defeated all the other grandmasters in the state and is now declared himself to have the level above black belt, which is rainbow belt. And everything is like deadly serious. They have these rules on the wall, which again, Cobra Kai-esque, it's like, uh, like 11 rules or whatever, which maybe we'll have to pull up and go through. But like, there's a lot of comedy to it, but there's a lot of scenes that are very similar to Cobra Kai and uh, like Johnny and Miguel, where Sensei is saying to Casey that, like, what is your favorite kind of music? And he talks about, uh, I don't know, some sort of pulp uh, or what have you. And he's like, no, it's metal. You you like metal now. Yeah. And it is a film about toxic masculinity. It's like yeah. all the things of Cobra Kai like honestly t- dialed up to 11 uh, yeah. in that he immediately becomes a dick similar to what we see i guess yeah in in like season one of cobra kai or even the karate kid uh in how you can instill these values and like fucking turn it up to a ridiculous volume of having sensei transform someone who is a complete wimp and a pushover into being absurdly in the other direction through things like making sure he listens to the right music uh oh you have an interest in france and french people no 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 they're known as surrenderers you (laughs) need to be interested in a powerful country like russia maybe germany and then he starts learning german instead and is speaking german to people and punching people etc what i love about that is because that's part of the same conversation where he's asking about the music he likes and um and yeah, he says like some sort of like easy listening pop or something like that. And he's like, yeah. well, no, you like metal now. And then he goes, do you have any other interests or hobbies uh, in addition to your newfound love of metal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the way it's worded is, well, because yeah, metal is the most masculine and aggressive thing. And then that leads to, yeah, France. And he's like, no, you need to like masculine things. And what I like about both this Cobra Kai, and even to an extent The Sopranos, is at least the way I read it, and even something like Fight Club, for example, like, I think a lot, I mean, there's obviously, if you're on social media and stuff like that, there's always a lot of talk about toxic masculinity, and I think sometimes people use it as a crutch, where they kind of just brand masculinity in general as toxic masculinity. And maybe yeah. this is the wrong read. Maybe my read is incorrect. But I do feel like there's a level of, at least the way the world works, and I, I, whatever it is built into like how men are and masculinity in general, where if you don't have enough, that's bad. Because like, we see, whether it be Casey here or even Miguel or um, whatever, like you can't just let people walk over you. Because then the world is not a good place. Uh, And so you'll just be taken advantage of and bad things will happen. And then there's a level you can reach where it's just like standing up for yourself or just kind of being assertive to just live your life. 
And then there's this complete crazy level that you could go to where, yes, you walk into it. Well, you what you chop, you karate chop your boss in the throat because you have tits on your screen. <laughs> you have tits <laughs> on your monitor and you're flipping through like porno mags or whatever it is. And you're challenging people to do push ups and asserting yourself <laughs> as the alpha. But I, yeah. I do feel like these these uh, when we explore these things. There's kind of at least a hint that there's a level of like there's an okay way to be where you're not messing with other people, but you're also not letting yourself be a doormat. It's just the problem is when you go too far in either way, that's when things get messy or or I guess problematic, if you will. Yeah, and I th- I mean, in real life, I think that's what a lot of people would get out of martial arts, which yeah. is less about being able to fight people and more about, you know, feeling physically fit. Uh, I See, I'm, I'm not speaking from experience, but this is what <laughs> I assume. Uh, like, feeling physically fit and confident in who you are and confident in your body, whether that's through going to the gym or other activities that sort of instill you with that inner confidence or inner peace if you're going down the uh, Miyagi-Do kind of route, uh, which is sort of a similar uh, way of doing it, but on the other side. But yeah, at the same time, some of the people who like might be pushovers and experience the world poorly because of that, probably the reason they're having a bad time is that so many people are overcompensating for being pushovers themselves True. and become assholes. And yep. that's kind of the the cycle that we see in this film as well. Yeah. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of great stuff. What do you think of the performance as Sensei and how it relates, I guess? Because, you know, uh, like Nivola... I I don't remember seeing him in lots of things like as a main guy. I know he was in like uh, he has been in a lot of stuff like uh, Face Off, even yes. going all the way back to Face Off, uh, which, which I would was... never have put the two together. You know, same um, same here. I didn't really make that connection until they started marketing more the Many Saints of Newark, and then they were showing that clip where he's you know he's Pollux Troy, like Caster's brother or whatever from Face Off, which I haven't seen in a while, but seeing him yeah. in it, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. And he's just kind <laughs> of one of it's it's one of those like uh you know crazy careers that happen where like this guy's just been kind of doing great work in these kind of thankless roles for a long time. So it's really cool. I mean Maybe he's been on other people's radars. I'm just being honest from my point of view that between seeing this movie and then Many Saints in Newark, I'm like really psyched that he feels like he's getting these, you know, more starring roles and getting more of the spotlight because he's clearly a talented dude. And I like especially I think the other connection between like Many Saints in Newark and Art of Self-Defense is he really is good at kind of having like like an intensity to him, but he can yeah. show that there's a vulnerability there as well and that there's a there's something behind it. And obviously, I think that's why they cast him in Many Saints of Newark because that's absolutely what Gandolfini was like masterful at and we're kind of hitting the same type of vibes. This is a little mm-hmm. bit different because it's more like stoic sensei, but you always get the vibe that he's putting this on a bit and he's like lucked into this role like i'd be so interested you know i hate prequels but i would almost love to see the the path of sensei to where he's at now and with his grandmaster uh but i love to just even play with that idea in my head because you can almost 
see a little of that in the performance and in just the way he acts in the scenes. And I feel like even though he's kind of, I mean, he's the villain, he's a, he's a, you know, a Johnny or even like a crease to an extent. Uh, I feel like there's some tragedy to, to it because I feel like he takes, he takes notice of Casey because I mean, he says this in the movie, but I think it's so true is that he probably does see a lot of himself in Casey and he thinks he's helping him in a in a twisted, bizarre way. Yeah, and he um like he believes in what he's selling as yeah. well, even though like to anyone else, where we get where we end up getting in the film is kind of absurd. We're kind of skirting around uh details, so maybe we'll g- give a spoiler warning here in a second. But I yeah. I did want to say uh that one of the reviews I saw is sort of called this film a good calling card for the director. And I think what you were just saying is that that's also true on the acting front uh, as yeah. far as like showing that that mix of, well, yeah, kind of toxic masculinity is what a lot of uh, what, what The Sopranos is about as well, or that intensity with an undercurrent of someone who's deeply wounded or insecure or just looking for a connection. Um, as far as the director, I think it's a good description because the film is very competently put together. It's kind of a good proof that he knows what he's on about. It's not, to me, to be honest, like the most memorable standalone film because the plot, the sequence of events isn't really realistic enough to stick out it's, it'll stick out in my memory like oh that was fucking crazy and and yeah. funny and and everything but it might not have a deep emotional resonance because it's kind of like a wes anderson film in in that sense in that it's like things happen um and you enjoy the ride but it's not necessarily going to have a payoff that's like whoa what an amazing payoff i, I don't know it's it's clearly a film that feels more like uh indie art rather than film for the sake of making a profit which is rare in itself and kind of nice um and it feels like because this is oh yeah it's not his first feature film um but it does feel like you know the way filmmakers when they're coming up they'll make short films go around to festivals and whatever it feels more like an extension of that rather than a massive leap into the film industry and i think that the director is sort of transitioning a little bit making slightly bigger films and this film called duel which i only realized was a kind of a play on words as we were talking about it because it's duel as in two people yeah um one of whom is a clone of the other one um it feels like they're becoming more high concept and he's really sort of finding the voice of the stories that he likes to tell. And it's very distinct. Um, so yeah, I definitely go watch it. Uh, I think if any of this sounds interesting, um, but should we give a big spoiler warning and just get into the details of it? Sure. And yeah, just to add on to that about it being like a calling card, I think that's pretty apt because I feel like this on the page would be a a tougher sell on the vibe and i think it's just it's a proof of concept where uh, he has a specific vision or a voice and he can then kind of execute that well because yeah i feel like this would be a little bit tougher sell if it was just i mean outside of the indie world like I mean, not that it's like a huge studio would make this either way, but like if you walked in like someone started reading this, uh, they I, I don't know. I think it'd be hard to get the vibe across, but it just shows that he has this in his head and he could easily put it out there more so than say like not to pick on Marvel movies, but like, 
you know, where a director comes in and makes a Marvel movie and they don't really yeah. have to do much because it's already kind of decided. But yeah, let's get into uh, let's get into more of the specifics uh, on the plot points. Like Jacob said, I think it, if you haven't seen it, um, I think you'd be better off just going and watching it and then coming back and listening to the rest of the discussion because I do think it helps to go in uh, as cold as possible because I think it's a, a, a fun unraveling. Yeah. And, you know, we, w- we won't necessarily go through all the beats, but at the same time, this story is pretty straightforward too. Yeah. Um, like in, in some ways, cause it's, uh, just slowly building towards where it's getting. And this is your spoiler warning. We're going to get into spoilers now, but it sort of starts out with just depicting Casey as an absolute wimp, uh, in his daily life. Um, and he's obviously not happy with it in his work and everything. And it's about like, yeah, f- five to 10 minutes in, uh, we see him get just randomly attacked by some people. Um, well, I do want to call out him. the opening sequence. It's kind of like an, an obvious joke, but yeah. the way it's done is <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Because yeah, I was I kind of wanted to bring that up as well, okay, <laughs> even though it's so yeah. Because we you know we kind of open on just like this French couple coming into a diner and they're just kind of shit talking everything. So I guess it is also another like how we later we talk about how the French are cowards. Uh, <laughs> but they're kind of just shit talking the diner in general. Like oh look at this like all these uh, this everything looks terrible. And then Jesse Eisenberg's sitting there having coffee or what have you his breakfast. And they look at him and they just start like making up a backstory for him and how pathetic he is. Oh, he's like reading the papers. So it's like how pathetic he is. And he's like, he's ashamed to even take a piss because his dick's so small. But they're talking in French. But then he gets in his car and puts the tape in and he's on the advanced tape of French where he, <laughs> and the tape even has to say, like, yeah, at this point, you have a clear understanding <laughs> of French. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I, I, I kind of mixed this up with a later scene because I thought it cut to him just crying in the car, but no, he's still yeah. putting up that front of like, this is fine, I'm okay with my life before yeah. everything kind of breaks down because later there's a scene where some stuff happens and then he's in the car and he's just crying uh, and, and everything after he gets intimidated by a guy in a parking lot, I think. Um, but that's oh, a, a wholly yes. different thing. Yeah, and it's... Well, because it's also... It's a play on... I mean, I've talked about this on my other show before, is that uh, the ultimate dream, or actually it, it, my theory is the only reason why you learn a for- foreign language is the ultimate dream is you'll be somewhere and someone will be talking shit about you and you'll know what they're saying, but then so you could call them out on it. But what's yeah. great here is that he knows what they're saying and he just pretends he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, that's such a scene from a movie, right? That you actually like, oh, you don't expect the white guy to know Arabic or whatever. Um, Like, that's such a thing. I've also seen, like, it's also, there's something inherently satisfying in it. I've seen, you know, TikToks or whatever, where it's someone who uh, is just a random guy who speaks however many languages and will just go into places different asian shops and like just to see people's reaction when they they hear someone being able to communicate but he doesn't do that he just goes off he just takes it and that is that is his life basically in in the in the office uh you know uh, break room that's the exact same thing he's he just has to take it where he's just there talking and he's trying to engage and be a responsible human being but everything is just kind of shit um 
And yeah, then he then he does get beaten up and mugged. Yeah, by he, some people on some motorbikes, some mysterious individuals. And he's he's trying to secretly learn, I guess, how to be a man because he takes like the men's magazine from the guys in the break room that seem like you know he's not good enough to be in their group and they don't understand him. He's trying to kind of connect, but he takes yeah. it, which is hilarious because then he makes a photocopy of every page. <laughs> And, and, you know, he's flipping through it. One of them is Wolf, a pet for a man. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, there's, like, breasts. And, you know, it's he's trying to learn. Uh, and then, yeah, he's got this cute little, like, wiener dog. Uh, or is it, what, a, a dachshund? Is, is that what it dachshund. is? Yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 yeah, his dog needs food. and it, But it's nighttime. You know, you can't go out at night. That's where the scary things happen. And he's kind of right because he gets yeah uh, robbed and beaten, and he's in the hospital, and you know it's it's even just kind of exploring you know post trauma like that's you're already kind of a, a a meek person in the world, and then when someone even uh, kind of proves your fears right, everything gets you know uh, emphasized even more. So then he tries to get a gun, and there's some funny goofs there where. Uh, where the guys like the the gun salesman's even telling him bad bad things about guns, like you don't have kids, do you? Oh, good, because statistically, it's way more likely for a kid to be killed when a gun's in the home. Also, if it's for self defense, I mean, statistically, a person is more likely to be shot and killed uh, in a robbery if they have a gun. But then, of course, he has to deal with the ah the gun laws. They're not letting him have the gun immediately. We have to hold it for for you or what uh, or whatever for a waiting period. Um, so then he seeks out some other, you know, uh, self-defense, and that's when he stumbles upon the dojo. Yeah, um, I, I love the scene where he's trying to buy a gun, and the guy just kind of has a like a, a purple shirt that just has a little gun oh, embossed true. on it. Yeah, and like it, the conversation and the way it goes, where he's like, "I'd like something I'd be able to hold in my hand," and he's like. Sounds like you're looking out for a handgun. <laughs> and then gives it to him and and uh, Jesse Eisenberg picks it up and is like, yes, this is exactly what I want. It fits in my hand quite easily. Um, a lot of, a lot of like, in again, this is still just the first 10 minutes and it's us really getting a sense for how skewed this world is. Because yes, he's very weird to be making photocopies uh, of this magazine, but it's weird that they have a magazine to begin with. Yeah. It's weird that the office even has a photocopier almost, uh, but that's just kind of part of the beige, brown, earthy-toned world that we're in. Similar to when he goes to buy the dog food and it's just in a big paper bag that says dog food on it without any brand or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, Like, are unsalted potato chips a thing, by the way? Because later on when he grabs loads of stuff, I was pausing to look at all the different stuff he was grabbing and, like, one of the bags is, like, unsalted potato chips. And I was like, that sounds perfect for this world. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't think so. I would almost wonder, though, if there's some weird health brand that would do that. But, yeah, I don't think so. But that's great. No, so there. Were, I was looking for little things uh, like that because I was seeing how the the style of the shop and everything that was giving me major sort of Wes Anderson. Here's yeah. a shot of a shelf and him coming in and grabbing the thing, very symmetrical uh, down the middle. Um, 
But yeah, then we get to the dojo, as you were saying, and there's a lot of good kind of speeches or like impartments of uh, wisdom in this film where Sensei's talking about various things. But like the first one we see is him talking about uh, how karate is a language. Uh, (laughs) And he's like punching the air as he's answering. And this is in the trailer if uh, you've seen that. But it's great how these things are always like vaguely nonsensical. But then he's also like good at fighting. So everyone's just kind of like, this is incredibly deep. (laughs) Yeah, because he's talking about how like karate is his uh, communication. So when someone's like, what are you going to do later? He's doing the punches to us thinking of renting a movie. And (laughs) it's so it's so great. Uh, And yeah, he's kind of just sitting, uh, sitting back, taking this all in. And, you know, you almost you don't blame him. He's much like. A Daniel LaRusso, uh, or even, well, I guess Miguel didn't really kind of see a dojo in action. But, you know, you see these people, they're up there, they're confident, they're strong, they're disciplined. I want a piece of that, right? What could go wrong? Exactly. So he signs up for classes, um, shows up, meets... uh, What's her What's her name? Uh, who plays? Who is the uh, the teacher? Oh, Imogen played by Poots. Imogen Poots, Anna. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Anna. Um, the who is sort of training the children uh, during the day and learns some more of the dojo rules, but also like throughout this, there's hints that there's like weird stuff here, even weirder than the rest of the world, because there's like blood stains on the mat. Um there's talk of like the night class very ominously. And when he eventually signs up after his first lesson, he's like taken to the supply room and is told like this is off limits. <laughs> this is you can't you can't come in here. Um Yeah, there's some intrigue. So there's some mystery going on. Like there's a little bit more to this place than just a karate dojo. I do have the dojo rules. Um, And also, also, I guess a bit of trivia is that Riley Stearns or Stearns, the director, the writer director, he does train and teach Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, Mm, So I guess it's inspired for some real life stuff here. Uh, So dojo rules. No shoes on the mat. Number one, of course, no shoes on the the mat. Number two, no food or drinks on the mat. Of course. Uh, Number three, bow when stepping on or off the mat. Number four, always bring your belt. Number five, wash your gi. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> number six, respect your opponent. Uh, number seven, tap or hear it snap. Or number eight, tap or take a nap, uh, which we do learn in the 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 children's uh, lesson, uh, tap, tap or take a nap. Number nine, stay hydrated. <laughs> number 10, if it works, use it. And, of course, number 11, which, like, is newly added, like, you could see it's, like, separated <laughs> from the rest, is uh, guns are for the weak. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and that line, like, if it works, use it. I feel like as we're recording this, we're waiting for season four of uh, Cobra Kai to come out. That's, like, said outright, I more or less in the trailer when they're talking about how to blend the different styles and everyone gets yeah. hung up on using this style or the other, but really, whatever works in a fight, you should be using it. A lesson that Jesse Eisenberg's character takes to heart towards the end of the film um but he gets promoted to a yellow belt and uh it's because he does embrace the karate lifestyle he's he's not even in work at the at this time he's still home from work after his injuries so he's just full-time doing karate shit um gets a yellow belt 
buys all yellow stuff in the store because he's crazy um, and stuff like that. Um, but then, yeah, he, he sort of is intimidated by someone in the parking lot and still isn't someone who would like punch or push someone else around. So this is where uh, he cries in the car and Sensei can kind of sense that he's, he needs a little push, a little something, something, uh, and takes him under his, his wing, uh, more or less here, and talks to him about heavy metal uh, and stuff like that, unless I'm... No, yeah. And then after that, he becomes a total asshole who punches his own boss in the face yes. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. That's where Because he starts surrounding himself with aggressive things, like everything's aggressive. Um, but yeah, he takes that to too much of an extreme because like, again, it's like an extension of how we just saw him buy everything yellow because he's really like, he's finally to his defense, he's finally found something like a belonging. Like, I mean, not to get like too dark here, but it's, you know, it's similar to people talk about like racist hate groups or whatever and how they like are building online. Uh, A lot of times it, it does come down to some sad, lonely person and you find your you finally found a community and you feel like you belong somewhere and now you're gonna like rep it to to the to the to the fullest extent that you can. Um so initially it just starts out with yeah, loving the yellow loving everything yellow, but then he doesn't feel it yet until he starts listening to metal and <laughs> and really being aggressive about everything where he does alpha at work. Like it works to be at least be in the break room group now, which who would even want to be in that group? Uh, but he's able to alpha one of the guys and take his seat and let's do push-ups. But it's because he karate chopped the boss in the throat, which it does feel like at least the boss was kind of friendly to him. Like, I mean, we yeah. see hints earlier where he's like, hey, you got, don't worry, you got plenty of uh, vacation time. Maybe you should go to France like you've been talking about. And they, I think they did mention that the boss had a party that he had gone yeah. to, and that's where he got the gift certificate from, like stuff like that. But it's almost like the one kind of friend he didn't realize he had. He he fucks up, and and now he's now he's full on dojo guy. Now he's self defense guy. Yeah, and um, one of the earliest, well, one of the very obvious early hints that even though this is maybe instilling confidence, this place, this community, probably isn't overall good we get a sense of it because sensei is very obviously uh against anna getting uh, a black belt or getting any type of advancement because she is a woman and there's a lot of uh fun and very misogynistic uh talk about it but it this leads to someone else gets promoted to black belt and once uh once Jesse Eisenberg's character, Casey, is invited to the night class and sees that, like, I was honestly like, night class, what is it going to be, right? And yeah. it's essentially just, uh, well, at first, it's essentially just fighting, uh, all out fighting. And we see uh, Anna's, Anna just beats the shit out of the person who did get the black belt. And it's a scene completely, like, lifted more or less from Fight Club with you know, I wanted to destroy something beautiful where she's just punching him over and over even though he's out because she has obviously not had a chance to... Like, this is her only place that she belongs uh, as well, except she's completely and totally pushed down in it even though she should be, you know, uh, second in command or what have you. And also uh, similar to Hawk vibes when... um 
Yeah, Hawk beats the shit out of uh, that big bully kid. Um, yeah, where it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, we're we're getting to the more ex- extreme now. We're not just sparring anymore. This is the night class, and even I guess the rules don't apply because he's tapping, and no one's stepping in, and she's not letting go of the hold. And yes, then he's out. And she's bashing his face in much like, yeah, like Fight Club. And we also see that Henry, who was kind of like a schlubby dude that's been helping Casey initially, like teaching him in, in the locker room, like what's going on with the belts and what the stripes mean. Uh, he's, of course, being he's, of course, now jealous of Casey because Casey's clearly getting kind of uh if not special treatment, he's caught the eye of Sensei. And everyone wants yeah. Sensei's attention. Casey's moved up to yellow belt, so Henry's still above him because he's a blue belt. But Casey gets invited to the night class, which Henry is not, so he decides to just show up anyways, which is not a good idea. Because uh, Sensei does a good job of not like showing that he's annoyed until making Henry feel it by he has this little speech about an elbow like oh an elbow only goes one way that's what makes it an elbow it's that's the strength of it and then he fucking pushes his elbow the other way and kicks him out of the class tells him he doesn't want to see him here ever again so there is uh there's a darkness to this dojo and you don't want to get on sensei's bad side yeah and when they finish fighting everyone just takes all their clothes off and starts massaging yes. massaging each other and Casey's a little bit like huh and uh <laughs> then Sensei brings him out to like oh no we'll do a special thing with you cuz it's your first time and they're in a corridor and you're very, like I think it's kind of it's obviously like building up like weird shit is happening here and you're yeah. supposed to be feel a bit unsure about what's going to happen next but with the super culty vibes you can't help but think yeah Sensei's taking him off to uh have sex with him and that's going to be his initiation at least that's what i thought yeah no totally and i mean anna's anna's story i mean obviously she represents you know i mean she's like the only uh female character for the most part besides of like, like extras or something um so i mean it's clear what she represents like she's almost there just to prove it to everyone else that you're not gonna win like she's not gonna leave because even though she should leave and like what does it matter? Like, you don't need to prove anything to any of these people, especially Sensei, but it's almost like, well, fuck them. I'm going to anyways. Uh, and, I mean, we hear, like, there's the whole sexual vibe potentially with Sensei, and then there's also this vibe of, because he's like, just think that all the other guys have done this as well, and then she's just in a, like, storage locker. So it's almost like, oh, my God, is he going to make her have sex with Anna? Is that what's happening instead? Um so and of course, then we hear her like story of how that came to be is that she did hold back in class and then someone did try to sexually assault her and she fucking killed him. Uh, there's a yeah. lot of like you don't expect going in that a lot of these people have bodies under their belt. Like there's there's some murders that happen in this movie. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just everything gets played out pretty well. And I like her kind of arc or what she represents uh because it just kind of tells that story of like well i'm i don't care how kind of nothing these people are i'm gonna prove them wrong but one of the funniest lines in the movie is when sensei says uh her i've now realized that her being a woman will forever stand in the way of her being a man (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, because uh, because uh, when he brings Casey to this, uh, you know, uh, boiler room or whatever, um, he's like, "I'm so sorry that you have to cool down with her. I know, you know, a woman's hands are not as strong, so it won't be as effective of a cool down. So he really yeah. just wants uh, her to massage him and her, him to massage her after the fighting, and that's it. Um, and this is kind of where, even though they've met previously, uh, obviously, because she was teaching the the kids when he first arrived they've met but this is sort of where they're isolated together and have a conversation and get to know each other a little bit more uh and that sort of progresses as he gets more deeply into the dojo culture and then it's only a little bit further on that everything starts to go to shit yeah um because he casey's still so into it that he got a yellow belt made like for his for his actual pants, uh, he has a belt now, and he got like fifty of them, and they're different colors for everyone in the dojo to wear. And this is the sort of like it's a nice thing, but it's the their belts are so important to them; it's so part of who they are. And being able to wear them out in the wide world is just such an emotional thing for all of them that they're yeah. so odd with him, him coming up with this idea. Uh, and he's also, I think he was, he says he was fired right or had to quit because he did punch his boss in the throat and all of that so he also gets hired to do like part-time accounting but then again it's only a little bit later that he uh sensei calls him tells him he knows where one of the people who beat him up is they go out and here's like where everything gets bad right because he's told this is the guy he he fucked you up fuck him up um it's clearly not this person there's no reason to think that it is other than he has such a deep trust for sensei at this point he's the one who's given him all this confidence and everything so he just beats this uh innocent man and is filmed by sensei so that's now on videotape so that's weird yeah Um, and then he goes home and his dog is dead (laughs) yes and they go to the hospital and the, the doctor's explanation is incredibly funny. But when he just talks about how, like, it's so weird, never seen anything like it. It's like he's been kicked. I've definitely He's definitely been kicked to death, but it has the like it has the impact of a punch yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah i never thought this would come back as yeah. like a plot point but it's so uh, great yeah <laughs> so he's kind of entrapped he he wants to like obviously at this point say fuck this dojo fuck all of this he's no longer in on it he goes there he breaks all the rules in one go eats on the mat walks with shoes on the mat <laughs> uh and says fuck you and fuck your dojo and it's uh kind of fun and uh good but he can't defeat sensei sensei is stronger than him defeats him at a fight and then also reminds him that he has video of him just beating someone up so uh you better just uh you better just stay and do as you're told and like you're my little prodigy now and then there's one of the other funniest lines in the film where he says that there are some things that women and men do together like ride a tandem bicycle or have (laughs) sex um (laughs) but even then men ride a tandem bicycle to please the woman and with sex it's the other way around (laughs) and he's basically saying other than those two activities men and women should be separate (laughs) (laughs) and back to the belts real quick it's so fun because it's one thing to wear like a yellow belt or a blue belt but like the fact that he's just wearing a black belt but he's acting like it's different is so funny or even the other guy that's wearing a brown belt because obviously you can (laughs) easily get brown or black belts (laughs) and uh he's like wow wearing my brown belt in the world is just so much better um but yes there's this 
push and pull because yeah, Sensei is still stronger than him, and he does have you know the video evidence. But Sensei's still kind of denying stuff that's happened, and he's still kind of keeping Casey in the loop. But I mean, they just keep amping things up because now we then we get the reveal clearly. Like, oh my God, you're a motorcycle gang, and we're going around to beat people up, kind of like what happened to me when I was beaten up by a motorcycle gang. Which is weird because I, I mean, I guess in this world you could almost still see that. Is Casey not putting it together? Because it's not till later that he even has to see that there's a VHS tape that they're selling of him getting the shit kicked out of him. Uh, I guess they're selling that on the black market or what have you to even like reinforce it more. I Well, I guess the reveal there, too, is that he basically could have been killed if it wasn't for Anna, who did kind of at least save his life, because at that point... Uh, Thomas, I believe, is the one who became becomes the black belt over Anna when he's clearly not as good as her. He wants to get his his is it the red stripe? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Henry makes the what we think is a joke. He's like, ha ha, no, it's of course it's not. That's the the red stripe's not for uh, killing someone, but it is. And it, when it gets to the point where uh, where Casey. I guess what they do they do they count that? Oh no, they don't count that death. They don't count the guy with the, that's on the bike. It's the cop here who's like apparently an undercover cop. They're aware of these robberies that are happen happening, and when Casey and Anna roll up on him for their night of, uh, you know, motorcycle gang mischief, uh, uh, Anna gets grazed in the leg with a gun, and then Casey beats a cop to death so he gets his stripe and uh but sensei is so proud because he's like oh my god a yellow belt who has a red stripe this is unprecedented this is amazing yeah yeah and i i do think you know it's clear from when we see the motorbikes that these are the people who beat him up yeah um but there's still and like it's clear that that's the case but he has he's partially indoctrinated he's partially entrapped cuz they have incriminating videos of him doing stuff so even just that sliver of a chance that this is not what's happening even though it's clearly what's happening yeah. is i think enough for him to cuz he does like try to back out he's like i can't do this and the only reason he fights the police uh, the policeman is that he like that uh, Anna is shot in the leg and they might be killed and he has all this testosterone he doesn't know what to do with so he fights this guy ends up killing him um, and now he's obviously even more uh, <laughs> even in even deeper <laughs> and this is when he finds out Anna's backstory as as you mentioned a while oh, back yeah. as well I, I put that a little too early that's right it doesn't come up till here yeah, but then we um, see we also see that Casey's power is growing because he kicks a uh, truck tire and flattens it. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, he's getting very strong. And then when he gets, uh, then we gonna gets home. He has a more masculine dog, uh, German Shepherd. Yeah, um, that's very clearly left by Sensei, which is also like very clearly admitting we did kill your dog. Um, so Casey goes and investigates the dojo, finds a lot of information, like a lot of people are paying, um, they're paying for membership even after they've left. I don't know, there was a picture of Sensei with a woman or something. 
um, that I thought was going to be important, but I can't really. Yeah, it's I don't in, remember if that. They kind of don't show you that, but I guess from what I take from it is that's maybe where he learns his name, because we find uh, out later that he learns his name. But yeah, because I I hadn't seen it in a while, and I was like, oh yeah, like what what is the picture? And I I kind of like that they just leave it like they leave it as something where again they always just kind of hint at what sensei like what brought sensei to be how how he is now, and. You know, you could, I guess, infer that he was once married or in a, in some sort of serious relationship, and maybe that's where all this bitterness and turmoil has built from. Not to blame whatever his spouse is, but just to say, like, he it led him down this path, apparently. But I, I, I do take from it that maybe that's where he learned what his real name is. Yeah. And then, of course, he discovers that there's a bunch of VHS tapes um, that are being packaged and sold uh, faces of fists uh volume 13 and uh it's basically snuff films and yeah. other ultra violence that they're just selling and then when sensei has you on tape doing some extreme violence you're entrapped and can't really get get out uh maybe you can get out if you're still paying fees or whatever um but yeah so ob- like now there's absolutely no doubt so the only question is what is he actually going to do about it at this point because he's just as entrapped as anyone else um, and then we, and then we even, have kind of an interesting... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. We might be talking um, about the same thing here, but we do see... Because yeah. when Casey first is kind of snooping around the dojo after hours learning about it, we kind of just see the hint that he sees some something in the locker room. Uh, we just mm. kind of see it kind of somewhat in frame. Uh, and what we see find later is Henry had hung himself, and he hung himself with his blue belt, and even with his broken arm, he got a blue cast. So... He's very easily like Casey. I I mean, that could have been Casey because, you know, Henry also was a guy that came to and embraced. And, you know, even even after being kicked out and uh, seriously injured, he still got his cast blue. That's how much of a blue belt he was. Uh, but apparently yeah. it was too much because <laughs> he, you know, committed suicide in the dojo. And then we learned that, like, the dojo even has a fucking... Uh, incinerator, yeah, an incinerator yeah, to just like you know, burn them up. But this is where I did get a little confused because when Casey comes in, we don't really see what he's looking at, yeah. so I didn't really register what was happening. Yeah, um, I thought it was just a training doll or something. I maybe I was zoned out, and then later on when he's hanging there, I was like, "Oh, did Sensei do this?" I wasn't sure because I'm also like, he would have to get in and everything. Although, I mean. Uh, Casey can get in but I was just like oh uh, did he kill himself because now it seems because they're sort of stacking all of these different reveals Um, so when they're also showing hey we do snuff films and we have an incinerator to burn bodies and here is a dead body I'm like so clearly they killed him right and then it's like no he actually killed himself and you're like this feels a bit muddled with (laughs) the amount of stuff happening at the same time Um, but either way it's very clear that Casey's like what the fuck? And as uh, I think you mentioned, we see Anna is the one who saves uh, saves him from actually being murdered at the start of the film because she says, "I can hear sirens. Women women's ears are tuned to much higher pitches yeah. than men's." And like that's the only reason they would listen to her or believe her is because they're like, "Ah, oh, yes, women are inferior. You're right. Let's go." Um, well, so what I yeah <laughs> to go back a little bit to what I love also about the Henry reveal is because then yeah you're right like 
I think it is something that plays a little bit better on, say, a second viewing, like since I'd seen it before, because it is you see you don't see what Casey's looking at. And then it's you're right. There's a bunch of reveals and things happening. And then we kind of come back to it when Sensei shows up at the dojo. But what I love about it is he he doesn't really react at all. And he just drags his body over to the incinerator and he incinerates it. And then they follow that up with him just doing mundane activities. Like he's, you know, vacuuming the mat. He's cleaning the toilet. It's like, oh, just another day opening the dojo, you know, burning a body and just cleaning toilets and shit like that. And also in a weird way, uh, like before we come to this climactic ending here is it takes the air out of sensei's image a bit because we're just seeing him doing bullshit um so i just kind of like that sequence of events and how it plays out here yeah and then it turns out that uh while casey was there the whole time he comes up and sits on the mat next to him when he's sort of praying to his uh sensei sensei and just tells him he's gonna kill him and does a lot of talking but essentially just challenges him to a fight to the death because we were told early in the film that his master went around challenging other masters to a fight to the death and he killed them with this one technique that he never taught anyone else where (laughs) he punched his index finger through their skulls and thereby killed them and this is one of the best payoffs it's of so uh, good. something like that. But it is amazing. <laughs> before the payoff, I do love the shot of um, you know Sensei kneeling to his grandmaster because this this is plays out the, at least this build up here is just something you'd see in a kung fu movie or something like that. Like, yeah. And even even though Casey's upset and we had seen that he was like going against the rules before here, he does take his shoes off. He's not eating on the mat and it's like kind of, you know, you have like this, I guess the sunrise coming in through the windows of the dojo and Casey kneels behind him. And it's the the classic, like, I'm going to kill you. I'm challenging you to a duel uh, to the death and unarmed combat. And it's, it's such a great setup to then, (laughs) uh, I guess fucking, uh, Chekhov's gun appears, uh, literally, where he just shoots him in the fucking head. <laughs> it's so great. Oh, yeah, and it's so good. Back with the guy with the gun that he says, like, your your paperwork's going to be valid for another six months if you want to get it. And But that's just a joke, but it, it all comes together. Yeah. I think this scene also has, like, a great example of what we're talking about with the way they're talking, where he's, like, calls him Leslie, uh, and yes. then, like, that's right, I found out your real name is Leslie. And then in a normal film, it would stop there. But then he's like, I called you that to make you angry. <laughs> and it's like so much of stating the obvious things that you're doing in a completely deadpan way. Uh, that is very amusing to me. And, and he you know, states that, you know, when you think about it, Leslie is a lot more feminine sounding than Casey. Um, and like all this stuff that's completely obvious. Um but yeah, there he challenges him to unarmed combat and then shoots him in the head. <laughs> and uh and then I, I I don't remember the cut exactly, but it's pretty much we just go after he does basically he walks up. You expect him to do maybe some kind of one liner. I expected him to say, if it works, use it. Mm. Um, which is one of the rules uh of the dojo, so he was following the rules. Uh, but no, he does what's much better, a much more extreme version of what I just said, of stating the obvious, of saying, I've been thinking a lot about what to say when I killed you. And he just talks for a while about, 
how he had two options. He's going to say both of them so he does not second guess himself later. And he basically has two two one liners or something. I forget what they actually are, but I do remember him going like, "Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I, I I took some time to think about what I would say when I would kill him." Oh yeah, one <laughs> of them is like. Um... You know, you would say that I, since I used a gun to kill you, that would make me a weaker man. And undoubtedly, that's true. But I would argue that you're weaker because, like, you, you're you now dead, you're dead or something like that. <laughs> uh, oh, and then he uses the line from the action movie when he says, I didn't that's play right. by the rules. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. He gets to do both in a very elongated, awkward way, which is like a perfect capper to what the movie's been doing. And then he kind of walks off frame and we like, or he kneels down off frame and we hear like squishing noise. And we find out that he tells the rest of them that he used Grandmaster's ancient move of, you know, punching through his skull with his index finger, uh, which is great because the weird thing is in a world where you can uh, punch with your feet, potentially Grandmaster could have really had this move. But I also like to think that Casey just figured out this probably was Grandmaster's move uh, and the same things played out. And it's even more amazing, like thinking about it or like pulling up the clip real quick, is that Sensei is still just dead on the mat, but all the (laughs) students are there. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're the nighttime students, yeah. you know. They, the night class students, they, uh, they have all. Well, they haven't all killed people, actually. But yeah, they've been yeah. around dead bodies. But yeah, it's absurd. I completely had that read as well. That you know, all of this is built on a sham. That he was going around shooting karate master, masters in the head, and now he's doing done the same thing to take over the class and restore honor to its students. Uh. Um, which is the thing he says outright to Sensei that it's not that's not why he's doing it. He's doing it because I I hate you. I yeah. hate you, Sensei. Um, he examines their hands and determines which one of them killed his dog, which is Trevor, the one that attacked. Uh, sorry, is it Trevor? Yeah, Thomas. I, doesn't matter. No, Thomas, Thomas. You're right. Yeah, he's the one that he got the black belt over Anna, and he also um, was the he also was the one on video that wanted to kill Casey at the time because he wanted to get his stripe. And yeah, he's apparently the one that killed the dog because he does have a dog bite. Because we did learn that the dog put up a fight, which was, you know, harrowing and sad to hear. But yeah, and um, so so he's killed by the the <laughs> new dog, the new uh, masculine dog. Yeah, and then Casey takes out a black belt, gives it to Anna, <laughs> and Anna's like, "Great, now get in line, yellow belt," because he's still a yellow belt. Um, and then she takes over the dojo, and it's she is season four of Cobra Kai because yes. she's like, "We're going to be we we were basically taught until now that you know." brutality is the only thing it is possible to be brutally tolerant or peacefully savage and that's just a line that i feel like is gonna be in season four of cobra kai (laughs) you know so the connection is palpable yes it's great it's great Uh, i cutting back real quick i do love the back and forth when he has the bandage and he's saying that he sprained his wrist playing the guitar and he's like, well, how yeah. are your chords and scales? Oh, they're very good. I could play songs very well. What type of music? Soft rock. It's like, huh. You could, <laughs> it's impossible to sprain your wrist by playing soft rock. Uh, but yeah, no, totally. This The the ending and kind of the what they end on here, the idea at least, is totally what I feel like we're going to get out of Cobra Kai Season 4. So uh, love it. Love to see it. I 
I, like I when I was watching this movie because I hadn't seen it in a while. Uh, I messaged you because I was like, dude, I love this movie. It's it's yeah. it's so fucking good in my opinion. It's just like like you said, it's not something like crazy like i guess emotionally connecting because but that's kind of the point like it's the characters themselves barely connect emotionally but it's just such its own vibe and it's so funny and quotable but i feel like there there's i mean we've talked about it for an hour so there's there's more below the surface as well i i just think it's 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 its own it's a nice unique own thing and uh i'm excited to see between the cast, like we mentioned, the guy that's in Many Saints in Newark, uh, Jesse Eisenberg, Image and Poots. I'd, like, if they do something like this, I'd love to see other stuff they do. And the writer-director, uh, I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting his new movie. So, great stuff. Yeah, for sure. And, the, like, the final shot of the film is uh, Casey standing in line with the other students as Imogen is... Uh, well, Anna is given this new spiel of how the school is going to change from here on out. And he's kind of smiling. And this is what I'm like, uh, this is good. But it's also like, you're a murderer <laughs> two times over. Yeah. And the thing, like, the uh, at the end of this, you're like, nice. Now I can have a, a regular dojo, <laughs> which is the thing you could have had from the start by going to any other dojo that wasn't full of murderers and, yeah. and not getting entrapped in this and going to the extreme so much with everything. Um, which is, I don't know, it... it do you like obviously this is an uh, indictment of toxic masculinity and like taking all these stuff cranking them up to 11 and just being reasonable in a sense but do you take any other uh, message from the film or sort of uh link up how the the themes of the film uh connect or just in general what do you what do you think is the point of the story besides the very obvious surface mm. level which is it's a very funny black comedy and i feel like black comedies things that are described to be in that genre the endings are often like whoa you know it's like i i don't know what to take from this exactly because yeah. it's often pointing out the absurdity of like uh society but i don't know if you have any any well, thoughts on that yeah it's tough to say like it's because you're right like where where we end because i mean he's killed a cop he's killed sensei i mean he's essentially killed um is it thomas i oh, know i'm spacing on his name uh with his dog yeah thomas yeah because it's, I because I think they do cut to like him being dead, right? With the dog just kind of like yeah, yeah, chilling yeah, yeah. now. So, um, but the ultimate, I mean, the ultimate thesis still, I think, is what they land on. Even though he did all these things, it was like uh, I guess a weird greater good thing. Because the ultimate thesis of what they land on is more, I think, f- to focus on what Anna's saying. And and her spiel is kind of what they uh, I think what they want you to take away from it. And it's I guess it's kind of yeah. similar to what I was talking about at the start when we were just talking about like the idea of people bringing up toxic masculinity or exploring that a lot uh, in movies or TV is that I don't think it's necessarily like any type of masculinity is just automatically toxic. There is like a happy medium uh, or there's balance, if you will, balance, Danielson, uh, that you can find. Uh, e- and sometimes, sometimes maybe you have to go over the edge to defeat evil. Because you would argue that guy killed the dog. He's evil. The other guy was a cop. Yeah, he was evil. <laughs> And not to go there. I know we got a fucking bad review for joking about that before. Uh, and also, Sensei. I mean, Sensei. I guess 
could not be helped. At least that's what the thought was at this point. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, if you look at some of the things on paper, it's almost like going against what you think their their takeaways are supposed to be. But I still think it's where where what Anne is saying is what they're ending on. That's what they want you to take away from it. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, obviously, he's done horrendous things, but he has been also completely sucked into it by powers outside of his control. Like these, these people who have already taken things to the extreme and are incredibly magnetic because of it, but in a in a dark and evil way. So they, they suck him in, turn, turn other people into copies of themselves uh, that spread violence. And it's not exactly, the point is not that we shouldn't have no violence. Yeah. Definitely not, because uh, we we shoot someone in the head at the end and kill another guy with a dog. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's really interesting, these sort of black comedy type films where like, what? wait, because you're often left with a sense of like, what am I taking away from this? I enjoyed it, but what the fuck? And it's a complete, it completely depends on does the comedy part of it click for you or not? And for me, it completely did, just like for you. So I highly recommend this film if any of this sounds interesting. I mean, we've spoiled it for you if you haven't watched it but yeah. go check it out all the same it's a solid movie um any other finishing thoughts um well i mean if you're listening on the cut to black feed if you have any interest in cobra kai check us out on cobra kai uh wait what is our cobra kai on no mercy a cobra, <laughs> no kai, mercy, kickback? A cobra kai kickback <laughs> uh if you're listening to cobra kai uh and you have seen the sopranos or are thinking about watching the sopranos we do have Cut to Black, a Sopranos sit-down. We've broken down every episode of The Sopranos, and then to an extension, some things kind of in the realm, like like the discussion of this movie, uh, Goodfellas, some James Gandolfini movies, and we're going to keep on trucking. So check either of those out, and hopefully you're already checking out both. Yeah, and you can find those, if you can't find them on your podcatcher, because uh, we messed up the names, you can go to showswithyouknow.com. Yes. Um, and we appreciate reviews left on both feeds. Thank you very much. And beyond that, I don't I don't even know what to say at this point, Jim. What do we say beyond that? I think there's just one thing. You know what? Fuck, we should have talked about this beforehand. <laughs> yeah, I think there's two things. I think there's... I think there is a thing. I don't know. I'm going to try to lead this and we'll see if this works because there's just there's just like one idea to leave this on. It's Mm -hmm. strike first. Strike hard. Cut to black. Cut to black.